guys, welcome back to another episode of the Hooker Girls podcast. Uh, Maddie on the mic again. I'm doing another solo episode for you guys, and we are discussing everything health. So that means the mind-body balance, maintaining a healthy lifestyle, whether that be um, in an off period or when you're super busy. And we're just kind of going to talk about how to maintain a healthy lifestyle while on the go. And this is our second episode of the Hookah Health Series, which is so exciting. Um, We have a special guest next week for you guys who is a MELT instructor. We're going to talk more about the mind-body connection. And so I just thought I would kind of plant the seed and get us started on that note this week. So everyone has busy schedules and often says, I'll wait to kickstart this new way of a healthy life or a new way of healthy living until next week when I'm less busy. And the thing is, is that you're never going to be less busy. This episode is designed to discuss what exactly the words health and healthy mean to me and the mind-body connection and to give you guys some tips and tricks on how to manage living a healthy lifestyle every single day, whether that be, like I said, when you're having an off week and you have time for it or when you're living a super busy lifestyle. So just a little disclosure before we start off, um, I'm not a certified nutritionist, I'm not a certified anything, Um, I'm simply a busy college student who maintains a relatively healthy, balanced lifestyle, and I wanted to share my tips with you guys. So you can take everything I say with a grain of salt if you want. My goal through this episode is just to inspire you guys to look more closely at what you're doing for your body, what you're putting into your body, and the little things that you can do to be more well-rounded on the health spectrum. So what I discussed today includes information for outside sources. I did a little bit of research for this podcast episode, so I hope that you guys enjoy it. But I'm also going to throw in some of my own personal experiences. So like I said, not a certified nutritionist, not a certified anything. Um, Take what you want out of this podcast. It's just simply me sharing my thoughts with you guys. So to start off, um, we'll start with our highs and lows and what I'm most excited about for this upcoming week. So I'll start with my low just to so we can build our way up. This week just really put me through the ringer, honestly. Um, it started out on kind of a funky note. And I'm blaming the Mercury retrograde starting this past Thursday, believe it or not. I, I don't know if I believe it, but I, I'm using that as my excuse. That's why I've been in such a funk. Um, But anyways, my roommate was really sick over the weekend, so we were in the emergency room until about 4 a.m. on Saturday night slash Sunday morning, and Sunday was just a big day for me. I had to be really productive. I had a lot of assignments due this week, and I'm going through yoga school teacher training, so I had four hours of that on Sunday afternoon, and I was just exhausted. (laughs) I was mentally drained, physically drained, sleep-deprived, needed food. Like It was just not a good situation, and that was my Sunday. So anytime that Sunday is kind of like that for me, it kind of makes my week feel a little weird just because I usually use Sundays to regroup, which is something that I'll talk about later on in the episode. But that was probably my low. But the high is that um, after getting over that hump of kind of having a weird beginning of my week, if you will, um, I'm feeling really inspired right now. So for some reason, even though I went through this really bad funk and was in a bit of a lull for some reason... Um, things have finally started to turn around for me, both mentally and physically. I'm feeling inspired. We have two weeks left of school, so I'm recording this on a Friday. It'll go up on a Monday. And when you guys are listening to this, I'll have this final week of school. And then next week is my final week, and then I'm done. So my school's on a quarter system, and we're just kind of going to push through these next couple weeks. I'm just going to give everything my all. I also finished my teacher training the last day of finals. So that's something else exciting for me to look forward to. So all in all, I'm just feeling pretty inspired and pretty good. Um, so 
for what I'm most excited about for this upcoming week. Um, honestly, it's not, I guess when you guys are listening to this episode, it will have already happened, but this upcoming week is going to be a lot. I have three papers and projects due, um, one exam and it's just going to be a hectic week. I have a lot of yoga I have to be doing and week 10 for me in the quarter system is just always hard. So this weekend, I'm actually going up to the mountains um, with some of my best friends and we're just having a low key girls weekend and it'll be good. We're just going to kind of chill and maybe do a little bit of shopping, um, hang out in the hot tub, go out to dinner, hang out, watch a couple movies, just have a super low key weekend. So I'm super excited for that. So that's definitely what I'm most excited about. I'm actually recording this around noon on Friday and we're leaving tonight for that trip. So I'm just, I'm pretty pumped. Okay. So let's go ahead and hop into the health spectrum, if you will. Um, So the way I'm doing this podcast is I'm dividing it up into different parts, and each part is just kind of going to have a different theme around it, um, just so we can kind of tackle all of our bases. And it's not like I'm just word vomiting to you guys, because it is a lot of information. Like I said, I did do some research for this, so I don't want you to ever feel overwhelmed. So we'll start with part one which, um, let's talk about food. So most people, when they think of a healthy lifestyle or living a balanced lifestyle or whatever it may be, they think of food. And in that case, like health can kind of be a sensitive topic for some people because they associate the word healthy with losing weight or being skinny or eating a certain diet. And just to clarify, that is not what I'm talking about on the show today. Um, Like I said, I'm not a certified dietitian or nutritionist, but I am just going to talk about how what you put into your body really affects both your mind and your physical body. So let's talk about the mind-body connection. It's how our thoughts, feelings, beliefs, attitude, opinions, etc. impact our biological functioning. So it's how um, our decisions having to do with our physical body, things like how much we exercise, what we put into our body. Um, so like whether that be food, caffeine, alcohol, water, supplements, whatever, how we treat our skin, etc., impact our mental state. So Dr. James Gordon, who's the founder of the Center for Mind-Body Medicine, said the brain and the peripheral nervous system, the endocrine and immune systems, and indeed all the organs in our body and our emotional responses we have share a common chemical language and are constantly communicating with each other. So what does this mean? Means it's all interconnected. What you put into your body is going to reflect on your outside. So people say all the time, oh, I've been eating badly, like my skin's breaking out. I haven't been drinking enough water. My skin's breaking out. My skin looks dull. Um, it's, it really is true. And so some examples, like for me, I personally know that dairy makes me break out. Um, and that's just because the whey and the casein proteins found in milk, when they are digested, they release a hormone called, um, IGF-1, which is kind of similar to insulin and it triggers acne breakouts. So for some people, they're a little bit more sensitive to it. So me, I was always lactose intolerant growing up. I always drank soy milk and almond milk when that became a thing. And so my body really does not process dairy well. So... Most people don't realize this, and so when they have a breakout, they treat their breakouts topically instead of reducing their amount of dairy consumed, or they don't think, oh, I consumed a little bit more alcohol over the weekend, maybe that's why I'm breaking out, or I didn't, I ate a bunch of greasy food, maybe that's why I'm breaking out. Instead, they just 
throw on some salicylic acid, call it a day, and it just really doesn't usually work. And then they blame the products that they're using, but really you have to look inwards. So another example of this is um, gluten. So the Huffington Post wrote an article Um, It's called Gluten, the Greatest Enemy of Clear Skin, and it explains that those who are gluten-sensitive have trouble with their skin when they um, digest gluten because gluten cannot be properly digested um, by people who are gluten-sensitive. So then the molecules enter the bloodstream, and these people's immune systems recognize them as invaders, and they produce, um, like, chemicals and kind of fight against these invaders, and they respond in a way that causes inflammation, which can cause acne, can cause eczema, can cause psoriasis, whatever. So for me, like I said, I'm going to throw in a couple of little personal anecdotes to all of these topics, but I have both psoriasis and eczema, so when I consume gluten, this inflammation that my body is producing contributes to how inflamed these dry patches are. So it's something else where a lot of people don't realize this. And so like I was saying with people who have acne and they treat it topically with salicylic acid, same thing for eczema or psoriasis. People will go to their dermatologist, they'll use strong steroids and special medication, while in reality, if you're cutting out gluten or dairy, um, it's probably going to severely change the outcome that you have. Um, I know for me personally, I try to limit my gluten and dairy intake. I've never really consumed a lot of dairy, but it's definitely hard because dairy isn't the most random of things. Like I was talking to one of my friends who recently had to go dairy free and she was like, I had no idea that the caramel um, at Starbucks that they put in drinks has dairy in it. She had no idea until she drank it and she was like, "Ooh, I really don't feel good. It must have dairy. Looked it up. It did. So it's obviously easier said than done to cut these things out of your diet. But, um, If you do, or if you at least steer away from consuming a lot of it, it could drastically um, change the severity of your symptoms that you're having. So the next question that comes with it is like, how do you know if you're intolerant to things? How do you know if you're intolerant to dairy, to gluten, to oats, to eggs, whatever? Um, Like I said, not a certified nutritionist, not a dietitian, but things that have worked for me is just try it. So if you're having a lot of skin problems cut it out or even reduce your amount of gluten or dairy for a couple of weeks and see if there are significant results. So take into account other factors as well. Like, did you change your skincare routine? Is it your time of the month? How much water have you been drinking? How much alcohol have you been drinking? All those things also affect your skin. So um, specifically for gluten, according to a Stanford article on gluten intolerances, if you do have a gluten sensitivity, Symptoms will improve following two weeks on a gluten-free diet and can even disappear entirely in about three months. And that's just crazy to me that like literally if you cut something out of your diet for two weeks, you'll be like, oh, this is something I'm sensitive to. Or, oh, I'm not sensitive to this. It might be something else. And then you tackle maybe dairy, maybe oats. Maybe you're not consuming enough water. You're looking at other aspects of your diet to try to figure out what is causing these symptoms. So the other thing about gluten is what's insane is that it takes six months for gluten to stay in your system and completely remove itself. So it takes this amount of time for your small intestine to return to full health. So if you cut out gluten for three months, whatever, say you're doing it, you're feeling a lot better, you're like, oh, I'm really craving some pizza. You go, you get a normal pizza, 
that gluten will stay in your system for the next six months. And granted, if you're consuming it every day, it's going to stay in your system a whole lot longer than having one slice of pizza. But it is something to take into account. I think a lot of people don't realize how long things stay in our system. Um, So that's just something else to take into account and kind of remember when you're going through this journey. So that's talking about food. And while I only discuss dairy and gluten, this is true for a multitude of foods and beverages. So your body's tolerance to different food varies from everyone else's, and it's a personal journey. And so you have to discover what your body can tolerate. So if you're struggling with stomach problems or headaches or skin issues or whatever it may be, keep a food log for a couple of weeks. Write down what you're eating and drinking and how you feel after it. And if that's too tedious for you, if you're like, I'm living too busy of a lifestyle for that, I don't have time for that, that's fine. Take a mental note of it. Because for me, like something that I noticed was I am a coffee fanatic. I love coffee. Um, Probably not as much as my roommate. My roommate's an influencer and one of them and she talks about coffee all the time. But I'm I'm a close second. I really love my coffee. Um as I feel like a lot of college students do. And because I can't have dairy, um, I usually do almond milk. Well, oat milk became this giant trend. And I was like, I'm going to try to eat oat milk. I'm going to try to put oat milk and I'm going to have oatmeal in the mornings. I'm going to have oat milk in my lattes. Like I'm going to go get a honey latte from the on-campus coffee shop and have oat milk in it. Well, the first time I had it, I was like, hmm, I feel weird about this. Like maybe it was this specific, maybe I ate something that day whatever. Um, a couple months later, I had another oat milk latte when I was actually with Lily and my stomach cramped up so much. It was ridiculous. I was like, what did I eat? I feel awful. And so I just took a mental note of that. I was like things that I ate that day. Okay. I had salmon for lunch. I eat salmon all the time, but maybe something changed. I don't know. Um, I had some veggies with it. The veggies were fully cooked. Um, So it wasn't like my body was having to digest raw vegetables. So I was just like, what did I possibly eat? So this was over the summer. And it wasn't until last week that I was like, I'm going to try another oat milk latte. I had three sips of my oat milk latte and my stomach started to feel weird. And I was like, that's what it is. It's oat milk. It has to be oat milk. And that's such a weird thing to be intolerant to. And I don't know why I'm intolerant to it. But for some reason, my body just doesn't like oat milk. And that's the thing is like... For all my friends, they go out to a coffee shop, they can have oat milk. Like, everyone's body is so different. Your, like, genetic makeup is different, how your bones are structured, how your joints um, connect. Like, everything is different in your body, and your body's going to process things in different ways. So, instead of going to a nutritionist or an allergist, by all means, like, if it's something severe, please do that. Like I said, not a certified anything, but if you're just trying to get more in tune with your body, maybe look at things in your life that cause you to have this um, uncomfortable feeling in your stomach or cause you to break out or cause your head to hurt or whatever it may be. So that kind of leads me into part two of this podcast and let's chat about stress. So the whole point of this episode is how to maintain a healthy lifestyle while also maintaining a productive life, right? But the reality is that sometimes productivity means stress. So before I get into some tips, let's chat about stress and what it does to your body and what it does maybe without you even realizing. So like we talked about earlier, the mind-body connection goes both ways. So what you put into your body is what you're going to get out of your body and your um, 
body reflects what you put into it. So for stress, it could mean that you're extra stressed or anxious about certain aspects of your life, and that could transfer into physical problems such as headaches or stomach aches, high blood pressure, tense muscles, whatever it may be. But that could also transfer into a constant health problem that could contribute to your mental state. So you could be more anxious or depressed when trying to cope with your illness or um, just the stress could get to you in general. So I kind of just wanted to talk about how stress affects you. So when you're anxious or stressed, your body acts like it's under attack. So this goes all the way back to our extremely distant ancestors. So any of those of you who have taken a psych class or have heard of the fight or flight response, that's what I'm referring to here. So our distant ancestors literally had to fight or run away um, when they were in a stressful situation. And... Um, that's what our fight or flight response is. Your body releases hormones that speeds up your heart rate, speeds up your breathing, and makes your muscles very tense. So when you're stressed, your body's fight or flight response remains um, present for too long, essentially. So you're literally tearing down your own body. Your immune system deprecates because um, it's constantly in fight mode. It's trying to help you, but in reality, it's hurting you. And this is when your physical state starts to decline based on your mental state. So say I'm really stressed about something. I'm constantly anxious. I don't do anything to relieve that stress. It's just going to continue to build up in my body and tear my body down. Um, So ways to combat that, obviously, are to relax, to not be stressed. And you're probably thinking, well, yeah, obviously, but like, how do I do that? Sometimes um, things like people see self-care, self-care is like, oh, I'm going to go take a bubble bath. I'm going to go do a face mask. I'm going to go to a yoga class. I'm going to go get a massage. Like, yes, those are all ways of self-care, but you can implement little ways of self-care into your everyday life. So when you relax, these stress-creating hormones are not produced and your body returns to a state of calmness, both mentally and physically. So I just wanted to chat with you guys about some of my tips for um, de-stressing in everyday life. So the first one, I love because you can do this anywhere, anytime. You can be sitting in class. You can do it when you're going to sleep at night. You can do it driving down the road and you're about to get road rage. Take deep breaths. And people say that all the time. And they're like, okay, how deep is a deep breath? So I like the 737 method. So you breathe in for seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Hold for three at the top. Take one more big breath in and then release for seven seconds. Exhale for seven seconds. And seven seconds doesn't seem like that long of a time until you're actually doing it, I promise, guys. Like, the first time I did this, someone told me about this probably two or three years ago, and the first time I did it, I was like, oh, seven seconds. Like, that won't do anything for me. By the time you're at, like, four, you're like, oh, my gosh, I need it to be seven. I need this to be over. Um, But it really does help because it drastically brings down your heart rate and decreases the speed of your stress hormones, quote unquote, um, and the speed at which they're releasing. So do this two or three times before a test, sit in class. No one's going to know that you're taking seven deep breaths in, holding for three, exhaling for seven, because you're just breathing. People breathe all the time. So that's definitely my top tip, if you will, for um, de-stressing or just trying to get your body out of that fight or flight response. But another one that I really love is essential oils. So they come in all different forms and you can use them in a variety of ways. So there are roller balls for on the go that you can roll on your wrists or your temples. 
um, drops that you can put in our in your oil diffuser or humidifier. I know for me, I have roll-ons. I have literal stress relief roll-ons. So if I'm feeling extra tense about something, I'll roll them on my wrist. I'll roll them on my temples. And it's crazy what it actually does for you. So there are a couple um, of different ones that I like, three in particular. And the first one is Rose. So Rose helps um, in relieving headaches and balancing your hormones. And when it says balancing your hormones, a couple of articles that I read um, attributed this specifically to mood swing and stress hormones. So if you're feeling a little on edge, if you're feeling a little worked up, Rose is a very good one to just kind of balance all those hormones out. The second one is a little bit different. Um, You guys are probably going to be like, that's an essential oil. Basil. So basil is one of the best oils to enhance your mood or reduce your anxiety. And it's often overlooked um, just because you think basil, you think cooking. You don't think stress relief, you know, Um, but it actually acts as a natural stimulant and promotes clarity of the mind by helping in the release of serotonin. Um, which is nicknamed the happy chemical, if you will. Um, so remember that because we'll talk more about serotonin later on. But basil was used in India um, and is still used in natural remedy for anxiety, mental strain, and depression. So in um, countries and in locations that don't use Western medicine, basil is a very strong practice. Um, it's used a lot to help with all the mental um, aspects, if you will. So the third one is probably the most famous quote unquote essential oil, lavender. Everyone knows lavender. It's the stereotypical stress essential oil. Um, but there's a reason for that. It's been proven to restore your nervous system by lowering your blood pressure and your heart rate. So once again, getting you out of that fight or flight response, kind of helping you out. Um, and it can also improve your sleep quality, which is huge. So that leads me directly into my next tip, sleep. Literally, sleep is so important, you guys. It's ridiculous. If I can say one thing, if you take one thing out of this entire podcast episode, it is get sleep. So sleep is not only a great way to calm your mind and de-stress, but it also is supposedly supposed to increase your creativity. So according to the book Essentialism, even an hour nap in the middle of the day increases your level of creativity. So for me personally... I'm not the biggest fan of naps. One, I have a really hard time falling asleep. I don't know why, um, but I can't just lay down and nap. It doesn't really work for me. And then also, I usually wake up feeling kind of groggy, and I just, I don't know. I didn't like naps. Um, But then I did some more research into it, and I realized that a lot of this has to do with the length of my nap and not the nap itself. So according to the Wall Street Journal, a 10 to 20-minute nap will boost your alertness. So if you're just feeling really groggy, really tired, you need some um, to be more alert, 10 to 20 minute nap. An hour nap will help you with your cognitive memory processing. So this is ideal if you're feeling groggy and you have an exam at 4 p.m., maybe stop studying at 2.30, take an hour nap, go take your exam. If you really need to recharge, a 90 minute nap helps your emotional state and creativity. If I do take a nap, I always take a 90 minute nap. So an hour and a half, lay down, maybe put on some soft meditation, relaxation music. Um, And the reason that I like a 90 minute nap is because you complete an entire sleep cycle. So then when you wake up, you feel a lot less groggy. So there are a lot of benefits to taking naps. Um, But on top of that, guys, just like 
try to get a good amount of sleep. I know that's hard, especially like I feel you, especially being a college student, like you're living with people, you want to be around people. Um, you have so much stuff you have to do. You have schoolwork, you have social things. Sleep is so important and it really is the foundation for how the rest of your day is going to look. So that leads me into number four, which is exercise. So in my personal opinion, and I know that I've given you guys three other ways to de-stress, but this is my favorite. You probably could have guessed. Exercise is the best way for me to de-stress. Now, obviously, if you have a super busy schedule, it may may be hard for you to, quote, find time to work out. So that's something else that I wanted to discuss is like, finding time for things. You're going to put um, things at the top of your to-do list that you really want to prioritize um, at the top of your to-do list. If something's really important to you, you're going to get it done. And I challenge all of you guys to make exercise a priority because um, it really does help with your mental state. It helps with your physical state. Um, Aside from all of the physical health benefits of building muscle and Um, looking lean and whatever. It really gets your blood flowing. It releases those happy endorphins. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you guys that I work out every day. I don't. It's hard to find time in a busy schedule, but we also make the time for things that are most important for us. Um, So when you exercise, your body releases chemicals called endorphins that interact with the receptors in your brain that reduce your perception of pain and trigger a positive feeling in the body. So my mom and I always say we release, quote, happy endorphins when we exercise because we walk into a workout in a bad mood and we leave feeling so much better than when we walked in. So how long do you have to be exercising in order for these, quote, happy endorphins to be released? So according to a couple articles I read, the consensus I gained was that it takes about 60 minutes or one hour of exercise for endorphins to be released. So that's good news, but... Probably a lot of you were like, okay, an hour, like that's a lot. I don't have time an hour every single, I don't have time for an hour workout every single day. That's too much for me. Well, even more good news. um, Remember serotonin, the happy chemical we talked about earlier? Serotonin is released 30 to 45 minutes into exercising. So you can go to the gym. You can run on the treadmill for 30 minutes. You can do a 30 minute walk. You can do the elliptical for 30 minutes. You can do a 30-minute yoga class, whatever it may be, those um, happy endorphins may not be quite releasing yet. They're probably going to tend towards the end of your workout. But around the 30-minute mark, you're going to start producing serotonin, which is going to overall improve your mood and your mental state. So I am an advocate for exercising. Wow, I really can't speak. (laughs) Because it helps improve your mental state as well as your physical state. So I'm not... I don't have all the answers. I can't help you guys out. But my tips for those of you with a busy schedule, do exactly that. Schedule it in. Add it into your schedule. If you're just getting started in the exercise realm, sign up for classes. Maybe even ones that charge you if you cancel or don't show up because then you have an incentive to go. I know that I started doing that um, when I first started my, quote, healthy lifestyle. I hate using that word. But um, if you decide that you want to start this healthy way of living and you want to go to classes and you're like, oh, but I know myself and I'm going to cancel it myself. Maybe go to an exercise class that has a $20 fee if you don't show up because then you're like, oh, I have to go because if not, I lose $20. Um, so it's going to take a while to get into a routine. It's not going to happen overnight. 
Um, but it takes 21 days to make a habit. And sometimes you just need to make that initial push. So maybe sit down, say, I'm going to exercise every other day for 21 days. At the end of that 21 days, it's going to be second nature. And those 21 days will probably be hard. You're going to have to push yourself to do it. You're going to have to push yourself to say, um, I could be sitting down and watching Netflix right now, but instead I need to go to the gym or I need to do this. But do the same time every single day um, or at least the same workout every day. So like what I mean by that is not like Monday through Friday, like go to spin or something. But I mean, maybe every Monday go to a spin class. Every Tuesday, go to a boxing class. Every Wednesday, go to yoga class. On Thursdays, maybe you take a break, you go for a walk. Friday, you go to the gym with a friend. And you have that for three weeks. So at the end of those three weeks, it really is part of your routine. So now we're kind of going to move into part three um, of this podcast. Like I said, I'm trying to divide it up for you guys just because I know it is a lot of information. But I know we've had some tips sprinkled in on our discussion about the definition of health and the mind-body connection, but I just kind of wanted to take a second to talk about how to successfully achieve these while we're all living busy lives. So let's face it, we all live busy lives. The word busy is arbitrarily assigned. It's different for everyone. And for me, being busy means taking 16 hours of class a week, training to be a yoga sculpt instructor, creating and producing a podcast about topics I'm passionate about, and holding a leadership position in my sorority, while all trying to maintain the social balance of hanging out with friends, being a good sister and daughter, trying to maintain a state of happiness. For others, it may be trying to balance a nine-to-five job while also being a mom or a wife. It may mean working a part-time job on the weekend so that you can attend school, that you can one day start your own business. It looks different for everybody, and no one person has the same life as another, and because of this, the words like happy and busy are going to be defined differently from person to person. So regardless of how you define your word busy, what busy means to you, I think I have one tip that's kind of applicable to all of you. And that is know that your life is full of stepping stones. So most of the time in life, you can't just drop everything and begin the thing that you really want. There needs to be a means to meet the end. What I mean by this is that you can celebrate the smaller stepping stones because they're only propelling you closer to your goal. So I'll give you a couple of examples. You want to go to a four-year university, but you don't have the means to get there. So you work a part-time job while you attend community college so that you acquire some of the basic credits and grades that you need to get accepted into the institution. You work the part-time job so that you don't have to take out quite as many student loans, and once you decide on your university, you're set. You're going. Another example a little bit different. You want to work in the social media industry, but you also want a college degree. So while you're attending school, you work on your own personal social media while interning or getting work experience in the field that you want to pursue. You focus on your academics while also taking steps in the right direction of achieving your goal. And then I'm going to use my own personal experience of, I want to be a yoga instructor. It's something I'm passionate about. It's something that I love, but I also know that I want to get my four-year degree. So instead of taking 16, 18 credit hours, I took 14 this quarter because I knew I was going to be going through this six-week teacher training program and that I was going to have to be dedicating a whole lot of my time to this. So I almost treated it like another class. I dialed back on my credits a little bit and treated it like another class. It really is a give-and-take relationship, and you have to find a balance. You have to prioritize, and you have to do what's best for you. So I'm giving you these examples because 
these same factors apply to your health journey. You have to define a specific goal for yourself and work towards that goal. And you're not going to achieve your goal overnight. I really, really love the quote, the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. Because it's so true. You can't say, I want to live a healthy lifestyle. I want to kick butt on this. Like, I, I want to look a certain way. I want to act a certain way. I want to feel a certain way. And then just start doing it. It takes time. You can't just decide, okay, I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. every single morning and work out. Like, you're going to get burnt out. So you have to remember that the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. So how do you get there? Define your goals. Make a list of things that you need to do to achieve your goal. I can't tell you what that goal is and I can't tell you how to achieve it because it's a personal decision and a personal execution. But if you have drive, you can accomplishment, so start small. If you want to build and maintain a healthy lifestyle, start with being aware, being conscious. Sometimes you tackle deep-rooted problems topically, like I was saying with your skin. You can't do that. You really need to dig to the root of the problem and treat it from there. Because if you're only treating the symptoms, you're never going to see long-lasting change. So you have a busy schedule, regardless of what that means to you. Prioritize. Make time for things in your life that help you achieve your main goal. Do little things each day to further propel you towards that goal. And I'll give you an example. The goal is live all around more balanced, healthy life. Broad goal, right? Okay. So divvy it up into achievable, smaller goals that ultimately make up your end goal. So maybe one of your smaller goals is to get more sleep. So go to bed five minutes earlier than your usual bedtime for a week. Then the following week, do five minutes earlier than that. Eventually, you're going to build up to a point where you are gaining more sleep than you were two weeks ago. So maybe another smaller goal, exercise daily. Make a point to schedule in a time for you to exercise daily, whether this be a 60-minute workout class, a 30-minute walk in the park, or even just taking the stairs to the third floor of the parking garage instead of taking the elevator. I remember that was something for me when I first moved out to Denver. I was so out of breath every time I walked up the stairs, and it wasn't even because I was that out of shape. It was just because of the altitude. So I made a goal for myself. Every time I was in a building that had an elevator, I would take the stairs because after a while, I started to develop... um, I don't know, I kind of became accustomed to it and I really got acclimated to the altitude. So that was just an example of a smaller goal that I used to help me get to a bigger goal. So maybe another smaller goal is drink more water. So little things that you can do, carry around a reusable water bottle with you. Chances are if you have water with you, you're going to be drinking it. When you eat out, maybe order a water with your meal instead of a soda or whatever it may be. Drink less caffeine. So if you're an avid coffee drinker, which I am, so I know this, I guarantee you that if you stop drinking coffee altogether, you're most likely going to have withdrawal symptoms, um, like a headache. I didn't realize how real this was until finals last year. I think I consumed more coffee than I've ever consumed in my entire life, and then I just quit cold turkey after finals ended, and I had the worst headaches, and I could not figure out where they were coming from. It's because your body does get addicted to those kind of things. So if you want to withdraw and or you don't want to withdraw and you want to cut back on your caffeine intake, maybe limit yourself to one cup of coffee a day. And if you're used to having two or three cups of coffee, um, maybe substitute that second cup in the afternoon with a water or a kombucha. Or if you really want um, caffeine, maybe a green tea. And then every couple of weeks, maybe limit your... After a couple weeks, I mean, I'm sorry, 
um, maybe limit your coffee intake to three times a week. So in the mornings where you usually would drink coffee, maybe substitute that in for a green tea or a matcha tea, something that has a little bit less caffeine, but is still giving you that same feeling. And eventually you'll start to um, kind of wean off of it. So another smaller goal, stress less. So all of the four types that I just talked with you guys about will automatically contribute to this goal. But if you want to take it one step farther, maybe invest in a lavender essential oil roll-on or incorporate drinking a warm cup of chamomile tea into your night routine. All of those little things that I discussed previously, take little bits and pieces of it and make it a goal to stress less. So these are all five smaller goals, benchmark goals, achievable goals, less intimidating goals. But ultimately, they help you achieve your end goal of living an all-around more balanced, healthy life. And it's 150% to have, quote, side hustles or smaller goals that help you get to your end goal. Anything that's directing you in the right direction of where you want to be is beneficial to you in the long run. So remember that, guys. I'm not really sure how long this podcast episode was. Um, I know it's a little bit different. It was a little bit more intense, scientific, if you will. Um, So I hope you guys enjoyed. Thank you guys so much for listening and for tuning in in today's episode. I want to hear your feedback on the new series. Um, If you like having a series, if you'd rather each episode be something completely different, what suggestions you have, topics you'd like for me to discuss, whatever it may be. So go follow us on Instagram at Podcast. Um, I look at all the direct messages on Instagram as well as the comments and responses to our story text boxes. So be sure to follow us on there. It is really where we get to connect with you guys, which is exciting. Also, next episode, um, we have a very special guest, Maria Rigo. She's the founder and owner of Boundless Balance. Um, it's a Pilates and Melt studio, um, outside of Chicago. So we're trying to get that figured out and we're going to have her on the show virtually next week. And she's going to talk to you guys a little bit more about the mind body balance, talk to you about Melt, about Pilates, what it does for your body. So stay tuned for that. Very exciting. So thank you guys so much for listening and I'll talk to you guys in our next episode. Bye guys. Bye guys.